We are still talking about the legislative maps that came out of nowhere a couple of nights ago. We talked about them yesterday. Now we have some insight into how we got them. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and our standard fill-in, Courtney Astolfi, who's pretty much become a regular this month, (laughs) sitting in for Lisa Garvin. Thank you, Courtney. I know we're taking you away from important work, but your voice is an important one. Let's get started. A day later, what is the take on the new legislative maps approved by both the Republicans and Democrats on the redistricting commission for Ohio? Layla. Well, the group that's leading the effort to reform the redistricting process to put it in the hands of citizens is saying this map is no good. (laughs) Even even former Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor has called it a bipartisan gerrymander, suggesting that neither party can be trusted at this point. She said these, these maps are the product of a year of delay, followed by hearings held in remote locations so working people couldn't attend. And, and finally, the politicians involved in the process ended up voting for their own political interests. And she asks how anyone can have confidence in what they've done here. Meanwhile, Ohio Democrats are upset because the two Democrats on the commission, Nikki Antonio and Allison Russo, kind of made it look a little too easy to reach a bipartisan agreement on these. They say that 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 will only feed the Republicans' narrative that the system works just fine and doesn't need to be reformed with a citizen commission. On the other hand, other Democrats have defended the vote and said that this was a tactical move that helps avoid a more aggressively Republican map and gives the Democrats a chance to break the the GOP's veto-proof supermajority in the legislature in next year's election when all the Democrats are expected to invest heavily in Ohio to protect Sherrod Brown. The move also means the lines will be redrawn again in 2025 if voters approve the citizen redistricting amendment. They said dragging it out again would just be a waste of time and resources and that the Ohio Supreme Court won't be on the side of fair maps anyway with O'Connor gone. So what's the point? They want to move on to other pressing issues like the abortion rates amendment and marijuana. Some pe- I want to step back a minute. Some people yesterday misinterpreted uh, what I said to, to believe that I was saying these are fair maps. They are still gerrymandered maps. They're still out of reason. Uh, what I liked about what happened here is for the first time, the Republicans actually did work with the Democrats. Mm-hmm. In the first go round, they ignored them completely. This time, we don't know this for sure, but it sounds like they went to the Democrats and said, here's the deal. We got five votes. You have two votes. If you vote for the maps with us to make it bipartisan, you get this with this many Democratic seats. If you don't join us, it's going to be worse with fewer Democratic seats. And the Democrats said, "Okay, we'll take the better deal because this is all going to come to an end. I I don't agree with O'Connor that this or the Democrats or the people that are saying this will make it easier for Republicans to fight O'Connor's reform. Because what this showed is it's a broken system. Yeah. I mean, basically, the Republicans blackmail the Democrats. Look, go go with this or we're going to screw you. So they went with it, figuring it's the best we're going to do for two years. It's a nice step to see that the Republicans actually did some mediation, which they've refused to do in the future. Maybe it's the beginning of something new. 
But you can take this to the voters and say, the system stinks. We need to start over, which is what O'Connor wants to do. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting to hear that some of those behind the reform initiative have said that that this latest set of maps that O'Connor said was a bipartisan gerrymander actually helps the argument for an independent commission because it shows that all politicians, no matter the party, will always look out for themselves first. And, uh, and that the system is broken, as you said, and needs fixing. I just wonder, though, if, if it requires a more nuanced understanding of how this process works to, get to, to connect those dots. I mean, will people who just look at it on the surface level buy the, the, the line that it worked just fine and that it was easy to reach consensus or, or agreement on this? I don't know. Look at issue one. People understood it. I mean, the last time we went with a gerrymandering constitutional amendment, 70% plus of the voters voted for it. I, I, you know, I think a campaign that says, get the elected clowns out of this process. Let's, let's have people with no skin in the game, do a fair map will work. Um, there'll be a a lot of money spent on it. I think the Republicans, if they fight it hard, it's going to have the same counter effect as what they did with issue one mm. Ohio voters aren't stupid they know that this is a stacked system and my bet is they'll fix it I, I feel bad for the two Democrats on the commission though because they're between a rock and a hard place if they say no it's going to be worse they didn't have a choice it's either go with it yeah. and do the best you can and and the Republicans did give them that choice or don't and it's worse I mean what what choice do you have if you're in that position mm-hmm so it's a, it's an interesting one. I still would love to know who was the force behind the compromise. I'm still betting it's Keith Faber, but we have no idea. Um, he was the kind of the chairman of this thing this time around. And somebody sent me a note and says his law firm is famous for its mediation practice. So, huh, maybe he is the mediator that made this happen. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This could be big for Ohio. If voters legalize recreational marijuana in November, what was the big step taken Wednesday by the Senate Banking Committee, chaired by our very own Sherrod Brown, to help marijuana's industry? Yeah, the Banking Committee yesterday is, you know, it signed off on legislation that would allow legal marijuana businesses in states where marijuana is legal to access the banking system. Right now, they don't have access to the banking system because marijuana is still illegal at the federal level. And this poses all kinds of problems, according to Sherrod Brown and other folks who are on board with this proposal. What's noteworthy about the banking committee's sign-off this week is that this is the first time marijuana banking has moved to this level, this stage in the Senate. The House has passed this measure many times in past congressional sessions, but the Senate hasn't gotten this far. So it's interesting to see it edge maybe towards the finish line under Sherrod Brown's watch here. The committee ended up passing this measure in a 14 to 9 vote. You know, it broke down mostly on party lines, mostly Dems in favor and Republicans against it. And that includes Ohio's other senator, J.D. Vance. But we heard from Brown about why this is a good move. You know, a lot of it comes down to the bill sponsors say is safety here. And and they talk about how these marijuana businesses are pulling in lots of cash and that makes them a target for robbery, right? And it also makes it difficult, according to Senator Brown, 
to have employees like prove their income for things like trying to rent a home or applying for a mortgage. They too are getting paid in all cash. So that's kind of the motive behind it. And a lot of states have struggled with this. And if Ohio moves in this direction from medicinal marijuana to recreational marijuana, this could nip that problem in the bud and Ohio wouldn't have to go through kind of those issues other states have. I'm a little bit surprised we haven't had some scandalous armed robbery with mayhem and death because of the cash these businesses take in. It is unreasonable for a lucrative business to be unable to do something with their cash. So these marijuana sales shops, unless they have armored cars coming regularly, have cash on hand. And you would think that that would be drawing the bad guys in large numbers. This this just makes sense. So many states have legalized marijuana. How do you not allow them to access the banking system? Yeah. And, and this is even, you know, so you think of this as a partisan issue, right? But this bill's sponsor is an Oregon Democrat, Jeff Merkley, and Montana Republican Senator Steve Daines. And I thought Daines's argument here was interesting from the Republican side of the aisle. He, he said he's, he's against legal weed. He doesn't want to see it legalized. And he says it's not about that, though. He's worried about exactly what you're talking about, or even other things like tax evasion and organized crime. It just doesn't make sense in his mind to keep them shut out when it's legalized in the state that they're in. But when we heard opposition from other Republicans, it sounds like, you know, the majority of the party is going to oppose this if this does move to a floor vote beyond this point now. And 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 they just go back to those arguments about it's illegal, you know, we shouldn't be facilitating something that's a scheduled federal drug. Yeah, they're flouting the majority, though, because every time this comes up, people vote in favor of it. And the suspicion or the belief is that Ohio will, too, although that's not as clear as the abortion issue. Anyway, it's interesting that that Sherrod Brown is a big, big player in this move to finally end this problem. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio's Jim Jordan once again is seeking to interfere with a criminal investigation of Donald Trump. Laura, what's he doing? And does this eventually reach a point where he can be charged with obstruction of justice? Well, maybe. I feel like he'd probably just throw it back and say they're obstructing justice, right? He's back at it with Fannie Willis, the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney who indicted ex-president Donald Trump. And Jordan on Wednesday accused her of focusing on, quote, advancing a political cause. Um, and her own notoriety. Hello, pot, kettle. I, I mean, this is why he's doing this, right? We've talked before about the letters back and forth between Jordan and Willis. And basically, I think our headline said he got spanked by her and her response. But he's not taking that lying down. He sent her another letter saying that the committee has, and this is his judicial committee he's talking about in the house a strong legislative interest in ensuring the popularity popularly elected local prosecutors do not misuse their law enforcement authority to target federal officials for political for reasons so, for I mean, so many people across the country he is ohio's laughing stock we hear from people all the time he's playing to the fringe element of his party to have his fox news moments and be on the other conservative media but he is a huge embarrassment to this state with his nonsense he's like a little child uh playing this game i mean there is an active criminal prosecution going on in another state, right? And a grand jury found reason to indict the former president 
on a whole raft of charges, racketeering, because of what he tried to do to overthrow the government of this country. And here's little Jim Jordan playing his games, trying to, to show strong for out of his fealty and his sycophancy. And it's embarrassing. It's an Ohio embarrassment that he's the guy that, that is the image for our state. The thing is, he has no chance of getting on a, you know, getting beat out in the house, the way that the, his district is, he's, you know, probably serve as long as he wants. And so he likes the attention. It's patently obvious. And he's just flinging a lot of verbiage her way, hoping something's going to stick. It's not going to stick. He has no power over her. So, but he's still playing these games and that's what they are. It really is. It's a cry for attention. I mean, we're talking about it, but he is obstructing justice in a way right? It- because yeah, he's getting in the way of a, an actual prosecution, one of four, and this is not the only person he's doing. At it some to. point, can you make the argument that he is actively seeking to obstruct a criminal investigation and be charged with a crime? Because I mean, that's what he's doing. He keeps interfering with the prosecutor as she conducts her business with phony baloney about how he has a right to to do what he's doing. She has an actual job to do yeah. that's not responding to Jim Jordan's yeah. letters. I mean, I, it, it would be fascinating to see what would happen if he were charged with that, because I think people have been charged with obstruction of justice for far less. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's the legal tactic Ohio is using before the Ohio Supreme Court to quickly get the heartbeat bill reinstated, even as voters are less than six weeks away now from deciding whether to legalize abortion in the state? Layla, this seems so stupid. It does. To recap for people, the heartbeat law pretty much bans abortion at around six weeks. About a year ago, a Cincinnati judge issued a preliminary injunction blocking the state from enforcing the law while the Ohio Supreme Court answers bigger questions over its constitutionality that were raised in a a lawsuit filed by a doctor in clinics like preterm Cleveland. But lawyers who work for Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost came before the court on Wednesday to argue that the doctor and clinics behind this lawsuit don't have standing or the right to sue on behalf of patients. They say that the relationship between the doctor and patients, that that's just transactional and episodic, and that the law doesn't infringe upon the rights of doctors and clinics, so they should not be allowed to bring the suit. The doctors say that that argument really minimizes the important relationship between doctor and patient, and they argued they they met requirements for establishing third-party standing on behalf of pregnant women who only have a matter of weeks to bring a lawsuit and have so many other health and financial concerns that would impede their ability to do that. And also, once that woman is no longer pregnant, she might not have standing anymore to bring the suit. Doctors also argue that they have a right to sue because they have a lot to lose under the heartbeat bill. They could lose their medical licenses or they could face prosecution if they perform an abortion that's later deemed to have been unlawful. But if so, you know, if the court agrees with Yost's attorneys, the heartbeat law could be reinstated. Even though in less than six weeks, voters are going to go to the polls and very likely vote to legalize abortion. I'm surprised the Supreme Court just hasn't suspended activity on this pending that vote. Um, but I guess it gives the the conservatives something to rally around. Yeah, we're trying to reimpose the heartbeat bill. We're trying to, to, to do right by the unborn babies. But it is phony. Well, you know what's in- interesting is I saw in the church bulletin over the weekend, they were explaining issue one and they were saying a- 
abortion is legal in Ohio up to about 22 weeks because the heartbeat Hmm. bill is on hold. And I wonder if they're using that argument to say, we don't need this amendment. You have abortion in Ohio. That's interesting. Well, my feeling is that I would bet that most Ohioans think the heartbeat bill is pretty irrational and that this is a bad play on behalf of the Republicans. And I feeling I, I really think that the it's reminding voters about the heartbeat bill, yeah, which point. is really fraught with problems. It's vague on the issue of medically necessary abortions. It doesn't address cases of rape or incest. Those are things that Ohioans, even conservative ones who generally are are anti-abortion, um, you know, I think they they would find the heartbeat bill problematic, and bringing this up right now before the vote, I think, is a terrible, terrible strategy. That's a good point. I was thinking this morning; it kind of struck me. We're less than six weeks away, and we are not seeing anywhere near the fervor that we saw in advance of issue one. And I, I wonder if there's a burnout factor. Everybody invested so much mental energy in the issue one case that this is just coming up. I get, I've said over and over, I think everybody knows how they're going to vote on the abortion amendment. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to change their mind at this point, but you're just not feeling that energy or maybe it's just me. Are you seeing lots of lots going on with this in the campaigns? No, I have in, in my community, I've seen actually a lot of vote no signs, which, uh, have surprised me, but I, I, you know, that's, that's just really? a handful. Yeah. But it's just, I don't think that that is in any way a barometer of how this is going to go. Not at all. Um, I mean, but, uh, but for a minute when I started seeing the no signs, I was like, oh, are those leftover vote no, vote no on issue right. one for August? <laughs> but I took a closer look and it said, you know, protect our children or something. And I was like, oh, right. And they, that parent protect parental rights is the yeah. is a tagline for them <laughs> yes. too. Nobody's going to change their mind at this point. I know. I think this thing passes at that fifty-seven percent threshold, like it, every poll's always said it would. You're listening to today in Ohio. It is illegal to post signs and banners alongside of interstate highways. So, Courtney, why is the state of Ohio not moving to remove another Blue Lives Matter flag, which some consider to be racist, from a sign honoring a trooper who was killed in the line of duty? This this response from ODOT is a bit of a head scratcher. We asked them why they aren't removing the sign, and they acknowledged that the agency does not allow signs or other symbolic items, like you said, to be hung on the highway without its permission. Yet when we asked about this Blue Lives Matter flag that's affixed on I-90 west of Cleveland, ODOT told us it's still too early to decide if the flag will be removed. So they're acknowledging their own policy, but then saying, we don't know. Uh, so there's that. This, this Blue Lives Matter sign it's a flag. It's hanging on I-90 next to a sign that honors Trooper Kenny Velez. He was hit and killed. He was hit and killed by a car there in 2016 among some of the exits over around Lakewood. And this sign's been up honoring him. But recently, we saw the Blue Lives Matter flag affixed to it, and this, of course, harkens back to something a debate that we saw play out last year regarding a very similar sign right down the road on I-90 for honoring a Cleveland police officer, David Fahey, who was also hit and killed by a car in the line of duty. Last year, his family went and hung a flag up and, and ODOT asked them to take it down. Now we have the same thing happening with a sign just up the road and ODOT is still figuring out, I suppose, what to do about it. 
Well, it's a double standard. Uh, you know, if, if the Black Lives Matter folks put a flag up, they would take it down immediately. Immediately. They wouldn't bat an eye. They would do it as soon as it went up. But they're leaving this up. And look, many people consider that to be a racist flag. It's probably not intended in this context. It's the families trying to honor him. But the honor is there's a sign on the highway naming a section of it for him. What says Blue Lives Matter more than naming a section of an interstate highway for a fallen officer? You don't need the Blue Lives flag. I'm just shocked at ODOT's double standard. You, you can't do it that way. You, you, if, if you're going to allow banners, allow banners. People can go hang them up wherever they want. But if you don't allow them, you can't make exceptions like this. Yeah. And, and when we asked him about this double standard, you know, the spokesman said the flag that we're talking about doesn't pose an immediate safety hazard to the traveling public, nor does it impact our ability to maintain the roadway as if that was kind of an excuse to break its own own policy again would they allow anyone to hang up any sign about anything on the roadway or would it come down immediately i think we know what that answer is i'd well, love to and- see someone challenge that someone someone please put a black lives matter flag right next to that one and we'll see what happens right well, the other thing is there's a double standard anything, between a honoring flag. a trooper and honoring a cleveland police officer are they leaving it up because he was a state employee instead of a city employee i mean they had the family take the last one down if i you know how, how do you begin to explain that this made no sense it's it's double talk coming from odot and they're really they need to answer for their this ridiculous stance and if, if i was cleveland police officer david Fahey's family i'd be I'd be fuming right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it makes no sense. They should take this this down. They don't allow it. And if you start to allow it, you could have a lot of problems start to develop. Or abandon your policy you and put let people anything. put banners up wherever they want. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why does Ohio State University argue it should not have to return student fees for the semester when the campus was closed because of COVID? The students were denied the services the fees pay for. Why shouldn't they get their money back, Laura? Well, because of COVID, because the same reason everything else shut down and the Cedar Point customer couldn't get their refund from when they went to the Ohio Supreme Court, everything closed, the public health order made that clear. And she says, but, but okay. So yes, everything closed, had to go home, but Ohio state university alumni, Brooke Smith, she graduated that spring of 2020. She filed this class action lawsuit on behalf of all the undergraduates during that spring semester. And she said, she understands that she's not saying they shouldn't have closed, but she says that OSU was unjustly enriched by charging students the full price of their tuition, as well as a bunch of other fees when they couldn't access the campus. So she got a partial refund for room and board share of the $75 recreational fee. But she said there's a whole bunch of other fees she didn't get a $90 learning technology fee, a $37.50 student activity fee, a $13.50 fee for the Central Ohio Transit Authority buses, and a $186 general fee. Yeah. So the reason this is all the way out of the Supreme Court is the Ohio State has appealed it twice. She's won twice. She should win. She didn't get what she paid for. They have to give the money back. None of this makes sense. It's just, it's one of those where you just shake your head. I mean, Ohio State should give the money back because it's the right thing to do, not because of legalese. 
these people were denied what they paid for. Give the money back. I mean, it seems like a no brainer. We'll have to see what the Supreme Court does. I'm still waiting for the Supreme Court to rule on the 2020 income taxes that the cities collected for workers who weren't in them. Uh, that's taking forever yeah. for them to rule. And it's that seems like an, an unlawful taking of, of money, too. It seems like it should be in federal court because it's violation of search and seizure. Yeah, OSU says it has discretionary function immunity, and that's a legal defense that prohibits lawsuits for reasons of essential decision-making actions. That's not a license to steal, though. I mean, you can't (laughs) use that as a reason to steal from students, many of whom don't have a lot of money. You know, OSU has lots of money. The students are the ones who are kind of impoverished. This makes no sense. It's OSU being a bully. But this, I did not realize there are so many similar lawsuits at University of Akron, Kent State, Bowling Green, University of Toledo, Cincinnati, Miami, OU, and Wright State. I'm sure there are more. But so this gets decided. All of those state schools, which, by the way, are generally hurting for money, like higher ed in Ohio does not have, well, I don't know about all of them, but I, I do know that they don't have as much money as they would like to have from the state. They're going to be paying off a lot of money that they don't really yeah, Jason, have. Jason, you know, has a bill. He's trying to destroy the college campuses. I'm surprised right. he hasn't tried to pass a bill to force him to give that the money because it would weaken the colleges even more. I mean, he's. But that yeah, would be doing right. the right thing. We know so. he doesn't do that. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. The IRS erased massive numbers of 2019 tax documents from computers in 2021 to make room for new incoming forms. It claimed it harmed no one when it did that, but Senator Sherrod Brown is not buying it. What does he want to do, Layla? Well, Brown says that when the IRS destroyed these millions of documents, such as Form 1099s, that the agency was unable to confirm eligibility for some earned income tax credit applicants because they couldn't access their their income proof. In a letter to IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel, Brown said he's upset that some taxpayers have had to seek legal assistance to receive the credit that they're eligible for, or they've had to undergo an audit because of the missing information that was destroyed by the IRS. Brown asked Werfel to provide him with information, including how many taxpayers claiming the earned income tax credit were affected by the destruction of these documents and how how the IRS plans to make sure those taxpayers get the money that they're entitled to. He also asked how many people didn't get their tax credit payments because of this problem, how many were audited, and how many only got their payments after going to tax court. Republican members of the Senate Finance Committee wrote a similar letter last week, and in that letter, they cite reports that at least 20,000 taxpayers who claimed the earned income tax credit in 2019 had their claims denied because of the destroyed records, and that many taxpayers lost out on their, their claim altogether because they didn't have the resources to fight the IRS challenges. I don't get how they could do this, because you as a taxpayer required to have seven years of your records because they can go back and audit that far, you would think they'd be required to give seven <laughs> years of the records. 2019 isn't that long ago. And, you know, couldn't they afford to buy some more memory? I don't, I don't right. quite understand That's what the argument. Is. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, they, they've said the, the cost of, of uh, acquiring more memory is, is negligible compared to, the, to what they're costing taxpayers in this situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the IRS really deserves a spanking for this, especially because if you did that, if you destroyed your records from 2019 and they audited you, you'd be in big trouble. What do they <laughs> usually do? How, I mean, is this the, this can't be the first time they've purged record. How far back do they usually go? Well, I, you would think that the seven-year limit would, would apply. <laughs> I just don't I get wonder it. If, I wonder if this was all a mistake, like somebody accidentally hit delete. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh, crap. Oops. And they had to come up with some, some story that, <laughs> that yeah. justified it. Yeah, good for Sherrod Brown. It's, uh, it's one of those head scratchers. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cedar Point will open the first phase of its new eSports Center next week. Courtney, who is it for and what is it about? Yeah, we're talking about this massive video gaming facility. This eSports Center, which debuts, like you said, October 6th, is going to be occupying a 1,000 square feet inside the existing Cedar Point Sports Center. If you go to the park from Cleveland, you'll see that giant complex off to your right. It's about It's located about three miles from the park proper, and right now it hosts things like you know, kids volleyball and sports tournaments and things like that. So they're using a piece of this building to install 32 video gaming stations. And they expect to, you know, focus on organizing leagues, camps and clinics. The initial phase of this plan is going to cater to the traditional athletes who frequent the sports center. Those kids I was talking about, the park said that the goal there is to offer low impact entertainment and recovery in between athletic competitions. So it's kind of for folks to unwind while they're doing other things at the center. But in the future, the park's looking to expand this and and potentially ramp it up even more. But in the meantime, this facility will, will be something new for the park. And they're partnering with a Cleveland-based company to bring it. Laura, your kid's a big video gamer. Do you think he'd have any interest in this? <laughs> um, yes, would his mother? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it would be an attraction for somebody that's seriously into video gaming. Yeah, I think so. And I think you know these kids all play with their friends on the line, right? They they're playing on a internet video game, right? So they're already playing their friends there. And half the time my kid is on the phone too, or they have those headsets. So I think that if they could play in person with each other, I mean, that's probably a little better than sitting in my basement. Like, I have to ask my son, he, he and his friends, they're all adults, but they're, they're still very much into video gaming. I wonder if this would be an attraction. I mean, it was like the f- fastest growing sport at a yeah. lot of colleges, right? And they all have these e- Esports Interesting. Teams. It's a, a clearly they, they see value in this. That's why they invested in it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Thursday. Come back Friday. We'll close out the week. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks to everybody who listens.